Uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 15 tonight, you'll recall that uh, we've seen here in uh, the last chapter, a longer chapter, we spent two weeks on that, right, chapter 14, uh, comparing and contrasting the example of uh, Saul uh, and Jonathan, right, and looking at the, Jonathan's example of faithfulness and faithfully looking to the Lord for guidance and uh, seeking that and following that, and, and Saul's a little different, a little different. We'll see uh, here tonight, um, unfortunately, here, here in verse 15, sort of Saul's further progression away from uh, yieldedness to the Lord. Sister, didn't he start out pretty well? It seems like he started out well, right? He's just a humble guy, and, and God called him, and he, was, um, he stayed humble and gave God credit for what God was doing. But uh, sure enough, uh, from there to here, we've seen him take one step after another in the wrong direction. You ever do that? You ever find yourself doing that? You've, you, you suddenly realize, you know what? I, I've taken one step after another, maybe baby steps, but in the wrong direction. Uh, and you finally realize, or the Lord helps you to realize, you know what? I've Maybe not quickly, but I've, I've been moving in the wrong direction. I've been moving away from the Lord. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but it, it does happen. Brother Art, I'm thankful that the Lord does have his ways to get our attention, right? And uh, he, he brings conviction, and all you have to do is say, okay, Lord, I, I agree. That's, that's what I've done, and I confess that and ask you for grace to help me get back on track. Well, I like to be able to say that we see Saul making that choice tonight. We don't. Uh, we don't, but certainly, certainly he could. So let's, um, let's see here his, um, his wrong example tonight and let that be instructive for us. And uh, we'll, we'll take the principles that we can. Brother Art, ask God to help us uh, keep these things in mind, to stand guard against the same uh, temptations. I believe that's um, one of the reasons why God would record the bad examples that he does in scripture it's so that we are reminded that we're at risk of making the same mistakes the same sinful decisions if we don't uh, really take care to stand guard against uh, going down that that same road so we'll let's pray we'll jump in here tonight we'll see uh, an example to avoid Maybe we'll title the message that tonight, Zach, an example to avoid. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again, Lord, again tonight for uh, our church and, uh, Lord, for your words. Lord, thank you for preserving them for us and, and giving us our excellent translation in our King James Bible. Lord, we do understand tonight that we have here in Saul tonight um, an unfortunate example uh, Lord, yes, a, a sinful one. And, and Father, I'll not look at it pridefully, and I, I pray none of us will. We understand tonight that um, all of us are at risk of, of falling into the same traps uh, or willfully turning from you and, and pursuing our own wishes uh, in, our, in our pride. Lord, I pray tonight that we'd be reminded tonight that we need to stay close to you. We need to ask you for grace to stay yielded to you, lest we... Uh, begin uh, turning uh, back to our own desires, our own intentions, which um, naturally are not yours. But Father, I thank you tonight that supernaturally you work in our hearts. And uh, when we stay close to you and, and say prayerful, Lord, you, you make our desires your desires and you give us grace to pursue those things. Lord, we thank you tonight for the reminder that we'll see here 
Help us to take it as a warning, Lord, and an example to avoid. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for the, the privilege to uh, have your words and, and to teach them tonight. Lord, I pray you'd help me to do that as best I can, Lord, for you and for my church. Father, I love you and I thank you and I, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in uh, 1 Samuel 15, right, that's where we are. Once you see here, uh, first thing, that the Lord has Samuel to send Saul out to uh, destroy the Amalekites. This is, this is the thing that uh, God says uh, to Samuel, you tell Saul uh, that I have for him. His, his next mission, his next assignment, if you will, uh, is to go out and uh, mete out justice um, against uh, the Amalekites. Now, let's see this here in verse 1. The Bible says, Samuel also said uh, unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, uh, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of, of the word of the Lord. He says, listen, don't, don't you forget that God sent me to anoint you uh, to serve as king, uh, and now God has a mission for you, Mr. King, so listen up, which seemed to be the idea. Uh, here, here's the orders from the Lord given through Samuel, verse 2, thus saith the Lord of hosts. What's that word hosts mean? What, what does it mean? You remember what it means, Zachary? An army is, is the idea, right? Uh, and, and it's not surprising to see an army, yeah. Not surprising to see the, that title uh, being used here as, as God is about to give out marching orders to go into battle. So uh, this would be an encouragement to Saul who is a king who has troops, but ultimately it's the Lord who's king of kings, who is the Lord of those troops and the one who's able to guide and direct and, uh, and give strength and give victory when he chooses to. So uh, the Lord of hosts is, is the one who's guiding and directing this army and it's, it's king Saul through Samuel. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, says Samuel, I remember, uh, that's, that's the verb is zakar, right? Uh, Zechar in the Hebrew. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, uh, how he or it laid uh, wait for him in the way uh, when he came up from Israel. So the, Amalek, the Amalekites, I'll, I'll get it right, these are, these are good guys or bad guys? They're bad guys, right? They're, they're Gentile people who did not know the Lord and evidently had no interest uh, in the Lord. They, they lived in the south of Canaan. Uh, and, and you may remember when, when Israel was, when the Israelites were making their uh, way from Egypt uh, to the promised land, there was, there was an incident, there was an occasion where the Amalekites uh, ambushed them from the rear and, uh, and, and just took terrible advantage of them, killing the feeble, the faint, the weary. Uh, see this back in um, Exodus 17, uh, it's referenced in Deuteronomy 25 also. Uh, they, they had uh, sought to uh, deal with Israel as an invading group of people that were a threat to them. Uh, un unwilling, probably Gary, to understand who they were and, and why they were there and the Lord was directing them into this land. They didn't care any, about any of that. They just saw people coming toward them and uh, perceived a threat and attacked them in a, in a very horrific, a, a very heinous way. And, and the Lord, um, he says, you know, now, now is the time that I will mete out justice against mine enemies and, and the enemies of my people, these uh, unrepentant Amalekites. There's been a space of time for them to repent. Uh, there's, there's no evidence of that. And, and God here is going to mete out consequences uh, for their 
uh, sin against the Lord and his people. That's the idea. Look at verse 3. So here's the specific order that God gives Saul through Samuel. He says, now go, go and smite Amalek. Smite means what? It is kill, right? Attack, kill. Uh, God doesn't stop there, though. He gives very specific instructions to Saul. He says, and utterly destroy. Uh, destroy would have been enough, but utterly is, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's given to uh, doubly emphasize God's command. Destroy, utterly destroy. You, you are to go and, and, and just destroy everything, everyone and everything, uh, all that they have, and spare them not. So you have destroy, utterly destroy, spare them not. Zach, it seems like the Lord really wants them to get the idea of what you know, God intends for Saul and his forces to carry out a, a complete uh, victory over these um, unrepentant people. It's, it's God's perfect justice. You know, it sounds, we look at this and the language sounds harsh, uh, and it is harsh, but it reflects the justice of God. That Don't forget, God is gracious, Brother Art, and, and he's merciful, uh, but he also has great wrath at sin, and, and the day comes ultimately where God will carry out just wrath against unrepentant sinners. That's why we need the cross, right? That's why we need the Savior. So he says, spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling. It's hard to read, uh, the animals as well, ox and sheep, camel uh, and ass. So those, those are the marching orders. That, that's a tall order. This would not be uh, an easy thing at all, but this is, this is God's order. So uh, Saul numbers his forces. He takes a quick survey, quick assessment of his troops and launches his attack. And uh, for that, we could say, well, well great. That, that's a good example. He, he just gets to it. God says do this, uh, and he, he gets to it. Okay, verse 4, Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Teleim, uh, 200,000 footmen uh, and 10,000 men of Judah. So this is a pretty significant force uh, that God has given him. Verse 5 says, Saul came to uh, a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. So that this is a strategy. Uh, they, they approach uh, the, the place, the people that God uh, has to be destroyed, uh, and their strategy is to approach and, and wait, evidently, for them to come out, uh, and they're waiting. And then um, in verse 6, we see uh, a group of people here are, who are called the, the Kenites. Uh, the Kenites, these would seem to be people who were uh, descended of Mo from Moses' father-in-law. Do you remember his name? Moses' father-in-law, do, do you remember? Trivia tonight, uh, is Jethro, right? Jethro. Um, some, some of these uh, people had lived in Israel over the centuries, and other had lived, uh, lived in the south, uh, which is sometimes called Negev. Negev. Uh, it appears to be these living there uh, in the south that we're seeing here. Um, Saul is going to warn them to flee. And, and this would seem to be fine. I mean, the Lord hasn't said anything about them. Uh, God, God hasn't said, hey, warn, warn the Kenites. But uh, I don't think this is necessarily wrong. He, Saul recognizes that these are people that have been friendly 
uh, toward God's people um, over the centuries. They've not been a problem, and, and God hasn't said to attack them. And, and so Saul very graciously says, hey, you guys need to get out of here because there's about to be a battle here. We don't want you to get caught in the, uh, in the midst of this. I, I, don't, I don't think this is a wrong thing. Verse 6 says, Saul said unto the Kenites, go, uh, depart you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. Might have been unwise to tell them what the plan was. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel uh, when they came up out of Egypt. Uh, so, uh, the Bible says here, the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. God's, God's at least permitting this. So, here's a group of people who were uh, kind and friendly and gracious towards God's people. And uh, Saul is showing them the same. The Lord uh, has a different plan for the Amalekites who have been the exact opposite toward the Lord uh, and his people. So, uh, let's continue on here. We see the account of uh, the campaign here. Verse 7 says, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah uh, until... Uh, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, uh, that is, over against Egypt. So again, this would be in the south, down toward Egypt, which would be south of, of the Promised Land. Uh, verse 8 says, and he took Agog the king of the Amalekites, what's the next word? Alive. Is that a problem? Is that a problem? It's contrary to God's instructions, verse 3, right? It's contrary to that. Uh, so there's there's problem here. There's disobedience. You know, Saul started out right. He, he got right to the business that God called him to. And this is really, again, a picture of his life. He started out right but step by step began to take steps away from the Lord and his will. Uh, here he started out immediately in God's will, uh, maybe was distracted by the Kenites, I don't know, but uh, he, he attacks the Amalekites, and rather than uh, smiting all of the people, he takes the king, of the, uh, Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive, Next part of the verse says, verse 8 says, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Well, all the people except for, yeah, except for, for the king. Uh, why did he do that? Well, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, but Saul and the people uh, spared uh, Agag or Agog and the best of the sheep. That's interesting language, isn't it? The best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs. And all that was good and would, what's the next word? Not utterly destroy them. So whatever seemed like it was really good, you know, the good stuff they saved. And that might have seemed like a good idea, might have seemed wise. Uh, there were other times in the past where the Lord had allowed them to take spoils uh, of battle and, and, and victory. But uh, Brother Art, God had specifically given different directions here, right? He said, you go and, uh, and destroy everything, everyone, everything, including the animals. They kept the good stuff, the best. Uh, look at the end of verse 9. But everything that was what? Vile uh, and, and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. So, you know, the stuff that was good, that seemed like the best, the cream of the crop, everything, they, they kept that. Uh, the other stuff they destroyed. I think, Brother Art, that was the easier stuff to, 
uh, to, to obey the Lord, right? This sick animal over here, this, this one over here that looks like it's not very strong, or it's old, you know, broken down, it can destroy that, might not even make it back home uh, if we take it. So they didn't perceive much value there. So uh, it was easy to be obedient uh, when it was easy to be obedient. <laughs> and it was hard when there was a temptation. Uh, Zach, what would be the temptation here, do you suppose? What, what is the underlying temptation? I know, I know that there's, there's always pride involved in disobedience, right? So I know that. But kind of one layer up from that, they saw, they, they saw the king and they saw these, you know, good animals. They, they saw them. Uh, and, and what's the temptation? What kind of temptation do you think uh, we're dealing with here? Any thoughts on that? Say again, please. Yeah, lust, lust of the eyes, right? Lust of the eyes. Uh, what, what are those other lusts that we see, those three buckets that we always talk about? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's pride here. Any disobedience involves pride. It's, you know, you willfully disobey the Lord. You're, you're pridefully saying, what I desire, Lord, is more valuable to me than what you desire. That's pride. By the way, that's idolatry. That's, that's making an idol of ourselves. That's not a good thought, but I do believe it's a true thought. So, Zach, no, no doubt they saw these really good animals, uh, and, and there was a, a lust of the eyes. Uh, and, and a greediness, right? Uh, a greed, a, a desire to have what they did not have or, or perhaps more of, of what they, they had and, and recognized as valuable. Uh, there was a discontent, there's always a discontentment at the root of that, right? Lord, help us to be content. Do you, str- do you still struggle with that at all? Uh, maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we struggle with that. Lord, help us to be uh, content with such things as we have. Lord, help us to be content with you uh, you've said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Zach, if we have the Lord, we have the most valuable thing, right? What I say on Sunday, we, if we have the gospel, we have the most, important, uh, the most important message that there is. And if we have Christ, we have the most important thing or person. He's not a thing. He's a person uh, that is. And we, there's no need to go looking for more uh, to satisfy us when we have the Lord Jesus Christ. But we understand there's, there's temptation, there's temptation. Satan even thought he could, he could knock Christ off track by, by tempting him similarly. Uh, thankfully, he did not give in to that. He quoted scripture, right? We can do the same. So they see the animals, and, and they, they take the good ones. What, what do you think about um, Saul's desire to take the king? What do you, what do you think about that? Gary, do you, do you see that maybe there might have been some of the same kind of temptations kind of underpinning that decision also? Uh, I see that there's probably a, a pridefulness, uh, maybe at root there. Um, trophies are, are nice to have, right? Uh, trophies are nice to have. You know, pastors like to have lots of books on their shelves for two reasons. One, one, they're good tools. One, they're good tools. The other reason is they're, they're trophies that make us look all smart, right? right? Do you have a bookshelf at home where you just like to have the books there and you hope people will look at them and think, boy, you, you're, you're well-read. You, you must really be smart and knowledgeable. They're trophies. Uh, my, my dad wants to have bookshelves set up for when he gets here. He's got his trophies, and he's got a lot of them. Uh, I think having the king would be a pretty cool trophy, right? Uh, we got the king of the Amalekites, and 
That'd be pretty prideful. The Lord said, you know, destroy all the people, and king would be included in all the people, but uh, I think Saul probably tempted to bring him back as a trophy. The animals may be their trophies all, but there's, there's pridefulness at root here, no doubt. Uh, no doubt this would be quite a trophy to have. Look at us. Uh, look what we accomplished. We, we destroyed the Amalekites and all their sick old animals, but look at the trophies uh, we brought home. Well, look at verse 10. Uh, Samuel steps in and, and he um, makes it clear to Saul that he understands that Samuel understands Saul has not been perfectly obedient here, not by a long shot. Verse 10 says this, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, uh, this is the Lord to Samuel, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Uh, God, God wishes he hadn't done that. Now, of course, he knew this would happen, but uh, to repent is to turn away from a decision. If God is going to uh, literally repent or, or turn, uh, you would expect that would mean that Saul would be taken off the throne. And that's exactly what the Lord's going to say. He says, it repenteth me that I set up Saul to be king, uh, for he is turned back from following me. So there's interesting wordplay there that the Lord uses. God is thinking to change course, which you will know, be the idea of repentance, the change of mind that produces change of direction. Uh, he's, he's changed his mind about Saul based on Saul's disobedience. Uh, and so the Lord is considering a, a different action, uh, and he's, he's doing that because uh, Saul has turned away from obedience to a different action, uh, disobedience. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. He's disobeyed. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. That's a very interesting phrase at the end there. Um, Brother Art, I, I fear that we do not grieve disobedience the way we should. We understand that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is, is grieved by our disobedience. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that we're sufficiently grieved normally by our own disobedience. And, and Samuel's here, dis, he's grieved by the disobedience of Saul. That makes sense because we, we ought to be grieved at sin and understanding that God is grieved by it. And boy, if we would be more grieved, we, we'd probably stand guard against uh, falling into sin. Um, verse 12 says this, when Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down. Uh, to Gilgal. So Saul's, you know, celebrating and gone to, down to Gilgal. And verse 13 says, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. You know, he's, he's going to play it like everything's fine. Blessed be thou, man of the Lord, of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, is that, is that true? <laughs> it's not true. Is it, is it kind of true? Well, it's, it's partially true. Um, <laughs> if, if something is not completely true, it's what? It's a, it's a lie, or you know, in a different context, you should say it's false. In order for something to be completely true, it has to be completely true, amen? <laughs> if you say something that's not completely true, with the intention to deceive, that's, that's a lie. <laughs> Whether or not your intention was to deceive, what you said was untrue because it wasn't completely true. And if your intention was to deceive someone, that's a lie uh, and it's sin. 
Uh, Brother Art, did uh, Ananias and Sapphira suffer some consequences for their sin of lying to the Lord and to the church? They did, right? They, they were struck down dead uh, pretty immediately. It seems like within about three hours, both of them were struck down by the Lord for uh, lying to the Lord and, and the, the harm that they had done to the church with their dishonesty, their dishonesty. Uh, Saul came, Samuel came to Saul, verse 13, Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou, of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. No, no, not exactly, Mr. Saul, king. Saul confronts, I'm uh, sorry, Samuel confronts him. Verse 14, Samuel said, What meaneth then this? And, you know, as, as much as this verse is, is horrible, you have to love this, right? What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears uh, and the lowing of the ox which I hear. What's he saying? He said, listen, um, think I hear some sheep that I shouldn't be hearing. I, I think I hear some oxen, you know, moo, that, that I shouldn't be hearing. What, what's that all about? What, what, what is that that I'm hearing? That's the idea here. He says, well, what's, what is this? Tell, tell me about this. Samuel knows what the, what the deal is. Well, see Saul's answer, and I want you to consider if it doesn't sound a little bit like Adam's answer to the Lord back in the garden. Do you, do you remember what Adam said to the Lord back in the garden? Yeah, the woman. <laughs> the, the woman. Uh, not me, God. You know, the one, sure, I might have done something, but it was, it was her. And, and that's one of the one of our sort of natural defense mechanisms, right? You, I, I, I may have done something, but you know, this person over here was responsible for it. Uh, we never wanna just say, yes, Lord, you're right. I sinned against you by disobeying you. Um, I take responsibility for that. Um, Zach, if I'm uh, tempted by my natural fleshly desires, might that be an explanation for my sin? might be an explanation, but it's not an excuse, right? Uh, say, say on a rare occasion, the enemy actually does tempt us personally. That would be an explanation for, for sin, but it would not be an excuse for sin, right? Uh, maybe someone around us uh, led us into sin. That would be an explanation for sin, but not an excuse for sin. Uh, Saul's going to try to deflect responsibility here. Look at verse 15. Saul said, so Samuel's confronted him, and now he's answering. Saul said, uh, they, circle the they, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Uh, so not, not me, they. Uh, for the people, you circle the people too, for the people, not me, Samuel, the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Um, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a very spiritual reason here. What's the sp very spiritual reason? To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Uh, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. The rest we, we, we did what you, you said to do. Um, so a couple things here. Uh, first of all, see that, again, he's, he's, he's trying to deflect personal responsibility by blaming it on others. Look back up, please, at verse 9. Who spared Agog and the best of the sheep and the oxen? It's at, verse 9 begins with two words, and it says what? But Saul. It doesn't say just the people. It says, but Saul and the people. 
They're in league together. But Saul and the people did that. He was party to the sin. He was the leader of the people, and he was party to the sin here. Uh, nonetheless, in verse 15, when he's confronted, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, the people, and, and then he gets very spiritual. For the people spare the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Didn't, didn't Saul already get in trouble with Samuel, and more importantly, the Lord, for uh, wrong worship? Didn't, didn't he? Didn't he? Not, not false worship in the sense that it wasn't of the Lord, but that because he wasn't qualified to make a sacrifice to the Lord, he's not a priest, right? We've already seen that. So um, it's very interesting, Brother Raymetric, that, you know, it seems like he's got like his kind of bag of excuses that he reaches into. And, and even when they haven't worked in the past, he kind of reaches back in there and dusts off that, uh, that kind of bad excuse and, and brings it back out again. Maybe it'll work this time. You ever do that? <laughs> I, I think we do this sometimes. You know, we, we have an excuse for sin, and we know that, you know, the Lord's not buying it, but it seemed right to us or, you know, seemed like a, a reasonable excuse. Uh, and the next time we commit the same sin or fall into the same sin, we... We bring out the same old dusty excuse and blow off the dust and offer that up to the Lord again. It's, it wasn't going to work the first time, and, and it's just an explanation. It's, it's not an excuse. He says the, the people took the best of the animals for a spiritual reason to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Zach, if you went out and robbed a bank, don't do that, please. Should we vote on that? Should Zach rob a bank? I don't think so. Uh, if you went out and robbed a bank for the express purpose of giving the money to missions, would that make it okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, Dad, it would. Uh, no, it would not. <sighs> Brother Gary, I've done my best, you know, to raise him in the church. And he's an adult now. What, what can I do? You know, I've done my best. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically what, what Saul is saying here. You know, we, we took this stuff that we weren't supposed to take. They stole it. Um, we took these spoils that we weren't permitted to take. And uh, it's okay, though. We're, we're going to use them for a spiritual purpose. This might have seemed like a valid excuse, but I don't think it did. I don't, I don't think it felt like a valid excuse to Saul at all. I think it's just simply an excuse uh, it's just an excuse. We can make excuses for sin all day long, but sin is still sin. It's still sin. It's still sin. You can, you can always come up with excuses. You can always come up with explanations, but that's all they are. That's all they are. We do better just to say, you know what? Uh, so what, what should Saul have done here? What, what, what should he have done? He should have confessed the sin and repented, right? Samuel, you know what? Man, I you're right. God said, and you told me that God said, go in there and utterly destroy everything, you know, leave, leave nothing alive, take nothing. Uh, and that is not what we did. It's not what we did. Um, he could have done that. He could have confessed and, and repented and, um, you know, been restored to Samuel and more importantly to the Lord. Why, why wouldn't someone do that? You ever been confronted by someone who says, man, I, I know you're, 
you're into some stuff that you should not be into and and you did not want to confess that why why, why would that, why might that, be? it's that P word again, right? I, I, I don't want to be found out. Why don't you think less of me? Well, person already knows you're messed up in stuff that you, you shouldn't be. Samuel already knew they took stuff that they shouldn't have. Uh, why not just confess it? You, there's the stuff. I, I, I hear the, the sheep and the oxen. I know that you did something wrong. Why not just confess it? Well, pride says, now just double down and try to make an excuse and save face. Save face. Let, let me ask you this real fast. Well, if, if you're really interested in saving face with a brother or sister in the Lord, uh, are, are you better to try to make up a, a story or an excuse, or are you better to say, you know what, you're right. Thank you for calling me out on that. Uh, sure enough, I've been convicted about it anyway, and you're right. I, I, I confess that, and I need to repent of this, and would you, would you pray with me? Would you, would you help me? Could we counsel together and just pray together? And uh, if you want to save face with a brother or sister of Christ, that makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot more sense. Well, pride gets in the way of seeing that sometimes, but God has given us this passage so that we can consider that tonight. Samuel's response in verse 16, Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel, verse 17, said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, back when you were humble, uh, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Uh, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Back when you were humble, when you were, uh, you know, not much, God made you the king of the tribes of Israel, anointed you king over Israel. God did that for you. Uh, you know, why aren't you doing for God now? Verse 18, the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners. Uh, they were sinners, unrepentant sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Same idea as we saw before. Verse 19, wherefore... Samuel asked Saul, Wherefore then, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but instead, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Disobedience is evil. Disobeying the Lord willfully, that's evil. Uh, and, and Samuel is not afraid to call it what it is. Willful disobedience of the Lord is it's evil. Uh, who, is, um, who is the first one that willfully disobeyed the Lord in ever in, in creation according to Scripture? Who is the first one that ever willfully disobeyed the Lord according to Scripture? Was it Adam and Eve or was it someone else? It was Satan. It was Satan, right? He uh, pretty clearly had already willfully disobeyed the Lord. Uh, when he came slithering into uh, the garden as serpent. Um, is he evil? What makes him evil? Brother Ray Metric, what makes Satan evil? It's his evil actions, right? His evil choices. His willful disobedience of the Lord. His rebellion against God and his word. That's evil. That's evil. And I don't know why we would think that our choice is any less evil when we choose to do the same thing. That's evil. It's wicked. 
Hey, the wicked's word we would use more often. It's like, oh, that, that, that person, they're just willfully uh, persisting in that terrible sin. That's wicked. Well, another word would be that's evil. It is evil. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to see sin for what it is. It's wickedness. It's evil. It grieves the Lord. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for a Savior whose blood has been shed to cover my wicked, evil choices. Uh, Saul's response to Samuel, verse 20, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agog the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Verse 21, what are the first three words? What are they? But the people. You know, these people. <laughs> you know, Zach Hammond. <laughs> Gary. Gary Sylvia. But the people took of the spoil. Verse 9 specifically says Saul and the people. Uh, but it's the people here who are blamed. Verse 21. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of things which uh, should have utter, been utterly destroyed to sacrifice on the Lord thy God in Gilgal. You know, if, if making an excuse didn't work the first time, again, just make it again, right? Just try it again. Throw it out there again. Maybe it'll stick this time, right? Throw it out there again. Uh, verse 42, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great... Um, well, let's go back to verse 21. But the people took spoil. Yep. It should have been destroyed. End of verse 21 says, To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So, again, he's trying to make a spiritual excuse for the disobedience. Samuel comes back, and this is a pretty famous verse, right? Verse 22 is a pretty well-known verse, and so now tonight we're seeing the context of this verse that we know uh, pretty well. Samuel says, verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What's he saying? Hey, Saul, what, do you think that God has greater delight in uh, sacrifices or in the obedience of his people? And if he's asking that question, you kind of know what the answer is, right? I understand God prescribed the sacrifices and he required them under the law, and we know they were important for that reason. They were important because they pointed to Christ in different ways and were preparing the people for the coming of their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, all, all important stuff. But what does God desire more than anything? Uh, he desires the obeying <laughs> of the Lord, the obedience of his people. And then Samuel says, next part of verse 22, behold, just in case it wasn't clear, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. He's saying the same thing twice, right? Really three times. He asks the question once and then answers it twice. Um, um, God laid out the law and desired that people would um, heed the law, but more than anything, God desired obedience. Do you think he still desires that? Brother Ray Matchick, do you think he still desires that? Yeah, I, don't you think? <laughs> He's given us all of the books of the New Testament to lay out his desires for this age, uh, together with our expectations for the next um, and he's given us um, everything we need in terms of understanding his desires and uh, how to live our lives today as, as Christians. And, you know, it's, 
no doubt, no doubt, this verse 22 remains as true today as it was true uh, in Saul's day. Now look at verse 23. You know this verse also. For rebellion, what is rebellion, Brother A? What is that? What's rebellion? What is that? Going against um, an authority, right? That to rebel against them is to go against them. Uh, Samuel is saying to Saul, listen, by disobeying the Lord, you've rebelled against him. By disobeying the Lord, you've rebelled against him. You ever think about your sin that way? When I willfully sin, I'm rebelling against God. Boy, that's not a good thought. Um, I don't like that thought. When we willfully sin, you ever, you ever sin and say, well, I'll just sin a little bit now, but I'll get right later. It'll be okay. I'll, uh, I just sin a little bit now. I'll, I'll get right. It's all, Gary, it's all under the blood of Christ. It's all good. Well, it's under the blood of Christ, but it is rebellion and it's wicked, <laughs> particularly for Christians who have been partakers of the grace made available to us in Christ. Uh, Samuel says to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Is that wicked, witchcraft? Yeah, that's wicked. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and what's the last word there? Idolatry. Why idolatry, God? Why idolatry? Why is that word there? Why is that word idolatry there? Idolatry is the worship of what? Idols. Idols. Do we make idols of ourselves when we willfully sin against the Lord? I believe we do. I think I've said that already tonight. We place ourselves uh, in our own desires uh, ahead of God and his own desires. And in a very real sense, when we do that, according to this passage, we're um, we're rebelling against the Lord and, uh, and, and in a very real sense, stubbornly making idols of ourselves. I don't like that thought either, not for one second. Lord, help me not to do that. Help me to really just begin to grasp, Lord, how you view sin, uh, how you view sin. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity uh, and idolatry. By the way, witchcraft, we can't, can't go into it tonight. We've talked about it at different times in the past. Isn't it very interesting that witchcraft, there's different aspects of witchcraft, but it often involves uh, saying words that are thought to be very powerful in order to accomplish one's desire, called spells, right? Spell casting. I don't want to dwell on this at all because we just don't need to and should not. But isn't that very interesting? Isn't that very interesting? The saying of words or spells that are thought to be powerful for the purpose of accomplishing one's own desire. Um, how did the Lord bring creation into existence? His desire was to bring creation into existence. How did he do that? He spoke powerful words, right? He spoke creation. Uh, he spoke his will into existence. Uh, this aspect of witchcraft is very clearly a corruption. <laughs> it's very clearly a corruption of a biblical idea, uh, but it takes the Lord and his words and replaces uh, his words with our own words. It takes, it removes the Lord's desire uh, that he desires to accomplish with his words and replaces us and our desire uh, to accomplish what we want uh, through our own words. 
Um, I could say a lot more, but uh, let's, let's move on here tonight. The consequence in verse 23, the consequence, um, next part of verse 23, I should say, the consequence. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Uh, you know, not necessarily rejecting Saul as a person completely, but he will not be permitted because of his sin to remain in the place of service to which God had called and anointed him for. He will not be able to enjoy that privilege because of his sin. Similarly, today, a uh, uh, a pastor may disqualify himself from being biblically qualified to serve in the role of pastor for, for certain sins. Uh, we have the biblical qualifications, and you, you can look at those things. Not that he's lost his salvation or uh, even necessarily needs to be put out of the membership of church if he repent and confess of the sin, be restored to the people, but may disqualify himself from serving in that role. Uh, and yeah be disqualified from that. Um, we've seen that, and you see something like that here. He's sinned against the Lord, and, and God says there's, there's a consequence. You'll, you're no longer qualified to serve as king of the tribes of Israel. Um, verse 24, <laughs> Saul gets, um, he gets humble and repentant here, um, or at least he seems to. Saul says unto Samuel in verse 24, I have sinned. That's, that's confession, that's agreement. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I'll bet you that's true. That last part, I'll, I'll bet you that's true. Uh, I'll bet you that the people wanted what they wanted and Saul didn't want to say no. Didn't want to say no to himself, didn't want to say no to the people either, feared the people. Whom should he have been fearing, Zach? Yeah. You know, deal with the people. Tell them no. Tell yourself no and tell them no. Don't fear them. Fear God. Trust God to deal uh, with the situation or not. But remember that so God is sovereign. Uh, he'll, he'll deal with people as he sees fit. Uh, verse 25, now therefore I pray thee, Saul says to Samuel, pardon my sin. Turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. That sounds good. Uh, Samuel, however, denies the request. Verse 26, Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. Uh, I, I will not uh, take up with you again, uh, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Samuel is saying, I cannot offer to you what you're asking because God will not permit that. God will not permit you to continue as king. That's the consequence of your sin. I cannot take up with you uh, in our relationship as prophet and king the way things used to be. You, you might desire in your uh, truly humble uh, confession and repentance for things to be the way they were, but that can't always be the case. Uh, there, there, as we've said so many times, there, there often are consequences that, that will continue, and this was the case for Saul. Uh, Saul's sorrow is magnified. Verse 27, Samuel turned about to go away. He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and ran it. Samuel turns uh, to depart, and Saul grabs a hold of him. <laughs> he grabs a hold of him, grabs a hold of the skirt of his mantle and, and rent it. Uh, maybe he should have rent his own as a, as a symbol of true repentance, but he grabs on to Samuel, trying to 
physically hold on to something, uh, physically trying to uh, remove the consequence uh, for his sin. Of course, he can't do that. Verse 28, Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, hath given it to a neighbor of thine. That's interesting, not his son, who he might have hoped for. Uh, it says, to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. That could not have been easy to hear. A guy has someone else who's, who's better than you, who's going to be a better king than you, uh, a humbler, not a perfect person, but, but someone who, uh, who will be more faithful and humble and um, is better in God's eyes. Uh, verse 29, uh, and, and also, this is this interesting verse, and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Uh, strength of Israel, is that capitalized in your Bible? It is, right? It's a title of God that's used here. I believe it's used only here, strength of Israel. This is uh, pretty clearly uh, a title. Our editors understand it that way, a title that is used to refer to the Lord. Of course, the Lord is the strength of Israel, and he's the strength of this nation and this church and uh, each of us. The strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. He's not going to turn from the decision that he's made. He's not a man that, that he should uh, repent. We could say more about that verse, but the simple idea is that God is not going to change his mind. God is, God is not chosen to change his mind. There'll be no intercession that will cause God to turn back and set things back to the way they were. God has made his, his decision. Uh, and he's sticking with it. Well, Saul, Saul confesses his sin again and, you know, still tries to see if he can't do something to make things right. All kinds of sorrow now, <laughs> a sorrow for sin now. Then he said, I have sinned, verse 30, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me uh, that I may worship the Lord thy God. Uh, what's his desire here? What's his desire here? Is, does it, that verse, Brother Ray, does it sound like he's really trying to get right with God? Or does it sound like maybe he has another motive to look like he's getting right with the Lord? Do you think it's the latter? I, I do. Because uh, look again at what he says. He says, um, yeah, honor me now, I pray thee, where? Where? Before the elders of my people and before Israel. Uh, I think his desire here, again, was to save face, right? He, he, he wants everything to look right before the people. Uh, he's, he's concerned here about how the situation looks. Tur turn, turn back with me and, uh, you know, join up with me again. Let's, let's just get back to the way things were and uh, help me save face with the people here. This is pride. This is pride. Um, Saul, of course, would have done much better to say, hey, um, I'd like to speak to the people and explain to them what has happened because I want them to avoid the same kind of consequence in their life. That would have been a humble, loving choice, right? Um, I, want, I want people to know that God is he's for real. He's serious about sin and obedience. And uh, when we willfully choose to disobey him, that's, you know, that's, that's rebelling against God. It's like, it's like witchcraft and idolatry, and it has consequences. Well, he doesn't do that. He says, you know what, help me save face with the people. 
it's not the right call. Lord, Lord, help us to throw off a desire to save face and uh, just have a, have a humble heart to do right. Verse 31, Samuel turned again. At, so Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. That's that's good part. That, that part is good. Verse 32, then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag or Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him uh, delicately. That's interesting. The word has the idea of sort of like gingerly. Uh, do you think uh, Mr. King of the Amalekites has a sense of maybe what's going to happen now? I think, he, I think he has a sense. He sees Samuel. He knows. He just senses that Samuel means business. He's, he didn't have an agenda other than the Lord's agenda. Uh, so he comes uh, delicately, gingerly, and he said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Uh, surely you're not still bitter uh, against my people and don't need to kill me. It uh, doesn't matter what Samuel thought. All that matters is what Samuel's God had commanded. That's all that mattered. And so in verse 33, Samuel said, uh, As the sword hath, as thy, let me try that again. As Samuel said, verse 33, to King Agog, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. Well, he knew what that meant. And Samuel hewed Agog in pieces before the Lord. God is the one who commanded this consequence of his sin before the Lord in Gilgal. Uh, Zach, man of God, completed the mission that God desired. One man would not. Another man stepped in and faithfully completed the thing that God had required. Verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gebeah. We've seen that before, this home for him of Saul. Verse 35, and Samuel came no more to see Saul, uh, to see him until the day of his death. That's true. We'll see in um, chapter 19, they did have one more encounter, but it was more of an accidental chance encounter, it would seem. Certainly not one that uh, Saul or Samuel initiated. Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Yeah, he mourned for Saul. Sin and the consequences of sin. This was an occasion for mourning. And the Lord repented. He was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. Does that, does that mean that God was surprised by Saul's choices, that he didn't, he didn't have foreknowledge of that? No, it doesn't mean that. It simply means that the Lord was grieved by Saul's choices. He knew when he set him up in the first place as king that he would make these choices. God knew all of this ahead of time, but uh, chose to allow Saul to be king nonetheless. Uh, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Let's consider that for a moment and, and we're done. Why do you do that? Why did God allow, why did God command that Samuel anoint Saul to serve as king, given that the Lord is omniscient and knew that he would be disobedient and unfaithful? Do you have a thought? Go ahead.
Yeah, so let's go back to where we began tonight. Um, certainly, it seems reasonable that at least one of God's reasons would be to reveal these things as warnings to us, right? Uh, God desired to have these literal historical accounts to be part of the historical record and to be recorded into scripture, to be inscripturated uh, for the instruction of God's people. Does that include us? Yeah, that includes us. Uh, and so I'm reminded again tonight that I do well to not allow myself to stray one step in the wrong direction because one becomes two and two becomes three and pretty soon you're dealing with pretty big consequences. Lord, help us to stay um, in your will. Help us to stay yielded to you. Help us to be in your word, to be prayerful people who seek your wisdom and counsel and guidance and who um, desire to be in your word to, to find the same wisdom and counsel and guidance from your word. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for this passage. It's, it is hard to read uh, for a variety of reasons, and yet I'm, I'm thankful for it tonight, Lord. You've, you've given us this chapter because we need it. Lord, we understand that tonight. We need it. And so I thank you for it, Father. Lord, I thank you tonight for the reminder that uh, we, we need to stand guard against taking steps away from you and, and taking steps away from your will as you've revealed in your words. Lord, help us to stay close to you and to stay yielded to you. Father, I know tonight that that means that um, we need to pray for heart to obey. And Lord, we need to stay in the business of, of praying for grace to obey. Lord, I, I know we're reminded tonight as well that um, a mind and a heart to view sin the way you see it will be a great aid, uh, inoculation against uh, yielding to sin as well. Lord, you see sin as wickedness, as idolatry, as rebellion. Lord, help us. Lord, help us uh, to obey you. Lord, not for our salvation, but because we are saved. and uh, We've been liberated from the law and liberated from the consequence of sin eternally, the eternal consequences of sin. Lord, I pray tonight that we take up these things that we've seen tonight and desire to live obediently according to your word for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you and I pray all of this in Jesus' name.